Hi, and welcome to Strangers on the Internet, a podcast about making online dating work for you. My name is Irina Manta, and I'm a professor at the Maurice A. Dean School of Law at Hofstra University. I'm also a dating coach and a consultant for the dating app industry. And I am Michelle Lang, a senior lecturer in psychology at Christopher Newport University in Virginia and a clinical psychologist in private practice. All views expressed in this podcast are our own and not our employers. Today, we have an absolutely fabulous guest for you that many of you got to know through The Tinder Swindler, which is the most watched Netflix documentary of all time. The star of the show with whose story the documentary begins and on which it focuses is Cecilia Fjellhøy, a Norwegian IT consultant now turned TV darling and anti-catfishing activist. We are so honored to be joined from the UK today by Cecilia Fjellhøy, the most famous victim of the Tinder swindler, who is also known as Simon Leviev. Cecilia grew up in Norway and was an IT consultant and part-time student in London in her late 20s when she swiped right on the man who would change her life. Simon Leviev was the head of a carefully planned Ponzi scheme. One of his victims has described it as an evil Truman Show fake world that was being built around the victim by an organized team. Simon would present himself as a diamond industry heir traveling in private jets and fancy cars who could make the champagne and caviar flow. He would use that lifestyle as well as an entourage of allies that included a fake bodyguard to give people good reason to believe that he was a wealthy, legitimate businessman. I will comment here that as much as some people would like to think that they would have never been a victim themselves, few people would assume that someone who can afford a private jet actually gets his money from a growing pyramid of dates. And you know what? While this is a lifestyle foreign to most of us, very wealthy men do pick up women via private jet. And Michelle and I have a friend who has actually experienced that legitimately. In fact, I know a separate person who also owns his own jet. It's unusual for sure, but not entirely unbelievable. As Cecilia pointed out in the documentary, she also did do her due diligence of checking his Instagram, which wasn't brand new, which had many, many followers, which showed him living this lifestyle. He seemed legit. Furthermore, psychology studies for many decades have shown that despite what we'd like to think we'd do, most people conform to the behavior of people around them, even in situations that seem pretty unbelievable. If everyone else around you is acting like things are perfectly normal, it has a tendency to shut down our own something-feels-off voice. Social influence is very powerful, and Simon surrounded himself with people who acted as though he was the real deal, so he had this perfect setup. With that in mind, Simon would take his time to woo a woman, including Cecilia, and spoil her with luxurious trips and dinners before asking them for anything. He had legally changed his name from Shimon Hayut to Simon Leviev to better be able to pretend that he was an heir to the Leviev diamond fortune. This would shift to Simon claiming he is being threatened by enemies who are after him, and he would send pictures and videos of his bodyguard covered in blood after being attacked by Simon's supposed enemies. Believing that Simon was in grave danger, Victims like Cecilia would start helping him by letting him use their credit cards and then pushed by him with a sense of urgency because he said he was in great danger, she opened up more credit cards and took out loans for him. Cecilia ended up in $200,000 of debt, which at a later point rose to $300,000 due to interest. And she fell into deep depression, which at one point included hospitalization. After a year of alleged relative inaction, the British police seized Cecilia's phone, saying that she was a suspect in defrauding American Express before they did anything to Simon. 
And to this day, they and the police forces of other European countries have let him escape. It is believed that Simon Leviev has cheated his victims, meaning dates, friends, and companies, out of a total of over $10 million, crimes for which he remains at large while living in Israel. A woman there just made a new complaint against him a few days ago, suggesting that he is continuing his life of crime. Cecilia, meanwhile, rebuilt her life and has now become a celebrity and activist with over 240,000 Instagram followers. What a turnaround. Let's welcome Cecilia. Thanks so much for being on Strangers on the Internet today. Oh, thank you. And what an intro. I have to say, I was almost <laughs> a bit embarrassed there. <laughs> but thank you so much. Uh, and thank you for having me. We're so happy to have you. We're so happy. You are a hero, Cecilia. You are a role model for everyone out there. So thank you so much for, for being with us. We've seen reports that you and the other victims profiled in the Tinder Swindler felt the way you were portrayed weren't totally accurate. Are you annoyed about the parts of the Netflix documentary that were not precise, shall we say, about what happened? For example, I heard you say in a different interview that it's not true Simon was on Tinder while claiming to be your boyfriend, an element of the story that made it seem as if you were willing to put up with anything. In the documentary, it said you noticed he changed his pictures on Tinder, and then when you asked him about it, he pacified you by saying he deleted the app, and there was no further questioning as to, but why did you change the pictures? And it sounds like the documentary also didn't make it clear how long financial institutions left you in the dark or made statements suggesting everything was fine and like his story was checking out. I feel like it's always difficult when you create a documentary and you have so many other, it's not our, just our stories, but it needs to fit into a narrative and needs to flow well. So when I saw that, for example, that it looked like he was my boyfriend and then I went on Tinder, but I was like, I wouldn't even have Tinder. That if, if I was with someone, I would have just deleted the app. I wouldn't even have seen it, you know? So for me, that is, but, but some of it, they needed to change the narratives a bit. For example, they changed the narratives that, Peter was attacked before I was asked for money. There were other things that happened before he asked for. And I have to say as well, when I say asked for money, it wasn't really money he asked for as well, which is, you know, it is the annoying bit because in the end, it's about money. But he asked for security. The money, of course, what was he wanted, but it wasn't, he didn't need money. So it wasn't money he was asking for. So there are like several things. And of course, uh, when the Netflix documentary is the second documentary that was made. So I was thinking, and that is just my own personal opinion, that, oh, my God, now we have a chance to go after, you know, why haven't the police done anything? You know, what about the responsibility of the banks in so many instances, international money mules? Simon loved using money mules. So, you know, those type of topic could have been addressed. But then we got to know that it was just a retelling of the story with added things because time had passed. But... There's not much, people think that we are at the top and we made millions. No, we're at the bottom of it. You know, that's how it is to be a victim. There's a lot of other layers to the entertainment industry. But overall, you can be disappointed over some things, but you have to be thankful for kind of the scene and having the opportunity to just tell your story. There's so many people who get defrauded out there that reaches out to me now and they want to know how can I put my scammer on blast how can I how did you make this 
So I have to say, I was thinking when I first got defrauded, I was lucky enough that it was so extraordinary. It became a Netflix documentary. And still to this day, I'm getting messages from people saying how grateful they are. And thanks to the documentary, they are more cautious. There was one daughter that reached out to me and her mom had met someone that was supposedly rich. Because they had watched a Tinder swindler, they were like, oh, let us just sit back and see what happens. And then he asked for money. And I'm so grateful that the documentary is out there just so people know. And I think that has been my main thing. If more people just talk about it, the lesser the fraudsters will be in the dark and can continue to exploit people. That is, it's, there's always two sides to the coin when these things happen, when the entertainment world comes into your life. So actually, I had another question I wanted to ask you, Cecilia, but now hearing what you just said, I wonder if I know part of the answer. Let's see. So the question I had is that you and some of the other victims had a GoFundMe at one point to which a lot of people donated. And I was wondering, what do you make about the responsiveness to that GoFundMe? The fact that so many people were like, we want to contribute to this. How did that leave you feeling? Why do you think so many people were so responsive to it? I think it was the unfairness at the end of the documentary when people were really seeing that it was still out there partying, that we were still paying the debt or had to go through. Like that is not something I have still haven't done a story time on, but I was taken to court by four banks. So it's not just it's a battle over several years and Our intention was never to set up a GoFundMe. A GoFundMe was not up when this whole thing exploded, but there were so many fake ones being set up and it killed us. We were like, we don't want more people to get defrauded. We reached out to GoFundMe and said, how can we shut these down? And they said, the best thing you can do is to have an official one. And we would have spent more time, you know, asking people to say, no, we don't have a GoFundMe because there were so many who wanted to help. And they were like, people like... I only have five pounds left and I'll transfer that from Argentina, which was, we didn't want that because we are quite lucky, but to see the response from people was just heartwarming and so nice. And it has actually helped us to have some money, like to actually go, for example, myself with my banks that I can say, hi, I have this money. Can we go into discussions about my debt? Because Everyone was reacting a bit because, of course, you get some negative reactions as well. And like the reactions were about, you know, the sum, you know, 600,000 pounds. Yeah, no, yeah, 600,000 pounds. It's a lot of money, but we couldn't lie on the amount either. So we got in 168, which is still an amazing, but it wasn't enough. And I'm owing a lot of money. So it's even though... It was amazing. It's just sad to to feel still that he took so much from you that it still isn't enough with all the money you got in. It's kind of sad. And I've been trying to negotiate with my banks, but they are really, really difficult in Norway with me, which is is a sadness. (laughs) But yeah, really grateful and thankful. Can you tell us more um, about the situation with the money today? So uh, I understand the GoFundMe has been shut down. There is now a partnership with the Real Lavia family for the Stronger Together bracelet where most of the proceeds are going to the victims. And Netflix itself, it sounds like they didn't pay all of you much. So are, are you finding ways besides, of course, your job and speaking engagements, are you finding ways to make up for that money? Or does it feel like you're just sort of up against this huge pile where you're like Sisyphus every day trying to make a dent in it? 
To be honest, in Norway, where I'm from, that's where most of my loans are because that's where my credit history was the best. And I owned an apartment there. So, you know, I got a lot of loans in Norway um, and I was living then in the UK. So the first year I was trying to use a law in Norway that we have that says if you're under pressure or threat on violence or death, you are not obliged by the signage that the papers, you know, the loan papers. And I was thinking that was the situation I was in. If I hadn't been threatened that he might die, I wouldn't have taken them up. But the bank said no. And that's why they took me to court. So I lost both of those trials because that's where the victim blaming comes in again. Uh, when you have one, sorry to say, white male that's sitting very comfortably passing judgment over why you did what you did and they felt that you had other actions you could have done that lent him the money i have to say that is blaming the victim of of the crime because uh, then you say oh i wouldn't have done that yeah so i'm gonna um jump from that to another question so to me and i think to a lot of viewers of the Netflix documentary, it was just insane to see what he was doing laid out so clearly and so damningly. And to know he's just out there still a free man. But then I remembered sexism. Just kidding. I never forget about it and all the ways it's embedded into all of society and into our ideas of justice. But with respect to Simon, the British police specifically chose not to pursue your accusations against him. The same time they dropped the charges against you, they said to you, we won't go after him for the 200,000 he made you lose. Uh, but they would try to go after him for a half a million pounds he fraudulently made a transportation company lose. So I was wondering, do you think that sexism or the fact that he's primarily defrauding women looking for love rather than businessmen plays a role in why he hasn't been more thoroughly investigated or prosecuted? I have to say wholeheartedly yes to that. It was one of the questions we wanted to be, that we wanted to be explored in the documentary because we really, really, we've heard whispers we've heard that there is something very strange going on here why are they letting him go like the uk police are saying that love fraud is really difficult to investigate and to prove i don't understand why maybe you guys would know better but i i don't understand when fraud is being deceitful obtaining funds and i have it black on white him being deceitful to obtaining my funds and death threats and I have to say mental abuse. And I've said as well that I feel sexual abuse, not by, but I didn't consent to be in this relationship with this man. Uh, there's just so many layers here where they're totally forgetting about. And, and I think that's partly to be blamed by the laws we have. I feel that when I spoke to UK police, I think that it was a sorrow he had as well. There's, we, I had a longer conversation with the officer and he was really apologetic and says what he did to you was much worse, but because of, uh, the, how the laws are. They are going after where can we get the higher sentence in? And then that's about the money. And that's where corporate fraud is much larger than romance fraud. That is normal, you know? So something's wrong. And I have to say as well, when you're being defrauded and there's no abuse claim there, there's just the money lost. And they don't think about what these people are actually doing to humans on an emotional level. I think that is really, really sad to see. So yes... I, I do wholeheartedly agree, but it's difficult to go out and say that as a woman as well, because you get a lot of hate for it. But we are seeing the same thing in the United States, 100% of uh, prosecutors not wanting to get involved, courts not wanting to get involved, emotional abuse often not being 
recognized in a variety of settings and the victims are often women. Indeed, courts saying we, we can't get involved in intimate matters, even when there is a money angle, all of a sudden, because it has something to do with intimacy, they won't touch it. So many, many, many problems. But one of the things I want to talk a bit more about, you mentioned it now, you also mentioned it in your YouTube series. And this is something I'm interested in. I've written about sexual fraud, as have other legal scholars. Simon abused you in so many ways, but could you talk more about essentially the sexual violation that you experienced once all of this became clear? Yeah, like I think, as I've been saying sometimes, like everyone just cared about the money. And I was sitting there with someone that I thought I had a relationship with that I had put my entire life on the line for because I did love him and I was fearful and scared of him. That's what I really truly believed when it happened. And, you know, I was in a kind of committed relationship to him. So my first thinking was that he had cheated on me and I felt so used. And especially when I went public the first time and so many girls contacted me just saying, oh, I was just on a date with him and never asked me for money and told me that they had slept with him and kind of not boasting, but kind of, oh, I didn't fell for it or he was weirdo. But I like if you like trying to make themselves feel better, it's been very astonishing to me to see the amount of women who are sitting up on their pedestal sometimes um, being like more that, oh, he just spent money on me. You know, he never asked me for money. And um, especially I was thinking back on it so many times, you know, at the end when you realize you are being defrauded, but you don't want to, it's kind of like, how on earth can someone do that to someone? And then he slept with me without really liking me or like, it's just a feeling of just, he just used that to make you, of course, believe uh, the that he loved you. Um, and for me, that is, and talking about a future, you know, talking about wanting children. I was, I was 30, you know, I was, I was ready to settle down. My life is very different now, but at that point in time, you know, I thought I, I had met the one. So when everything came crashing down and you know that he's been with so many other women. So when I was put into acute psychiatric ward, I had to do a whole STI check. You know, I was scared of having like he had, you know, HIV, like something, you know, I, I was thinking this dude don't care. So that was another thing about having to go through, but no one is really talking about. So, yeah, it's, it's horrendous to think about later on. But the minute I mention it, I, I, I think I said it to BBC breakfast once in one of these pre-calls and they called me up again. said, you can't say that. You can't say that. And I was like, Oh, first of all, I know it's breakfast TV. I'm not going to talk about this, but it's kind of, they're so scared of getting a lawsuit from this guy or I'm coming up with claims, you know, but I mean, why can't we talk about like that being sexual abuse? I did not consent to having a sexual relationship with the person. Like it was all fake. But the moment you mention it, people are, oh God. Yeah, I've been very disappointed in the media and how fearful they are of lawsuits from this guy. That the amount of times he said to us, you have to say alleged. I'm so tired of it. He is a convicted fraudster in Finland. You can say he's a criminal and a fraudster. That is not. And if you do, let him sue you. What is he going to do? Like, I, I, yeah, it's, that's been very, very hard. I've been crying. I said, I am brave enough to go out there and you can't even, you don't even have, you know, I'm going to say vagina because I don't like saying vagina is much better than balls, but you don't even have the vagina, you know, to just dare to put something out live about this man who's 
destroyed so many people's lives and continuing to, you know, I think it's, they're, they're cowards. We will put it out there, Cecilia. We will. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I understand you have laws and you have lawyers that comes in, but I'm like, but look at the entire case. He is convicted before. So it's nothing. And if I, as one person, says that I felt sexually abused in that sense that I didn't consent to the relationship, the sexual relationship I was in, why can't I say that? It's, it's really weird that they're so fearful of him. Is it particularly outrageous to you that he is now finding ways to capitalize on the things he's done? Why is he on TikTok where he has almost 400,000 followers? Why is he on the Cameo app where he sells little messages? Like, do people think it's funny? And what are these companies doing? I saw there is a small petition to get him off Cameo, but very small. And so, I mean, have they no shame? Like, what is TikTok doing? I am so grateful that Instagram has got rid of him. He's been trying so many times to set up his account there, but that's been taken down. So I'm grateful at least that they are seeing him for what he is, a fraudster, and he has no way to be on that app trying to capitalize on it. TikTok, it's been horrendous. He's been doing so many lives as well that is not on there where he's defaming us. He put out a horrible TikTok about Pernilla. Just like, def- like I don't think a lot of people have their criminal going out there so publicly and in a sense making fun of the entire thing, laughing at it, making a joke that he is a criminal, but he's saying he isn't. But he's making, you know, the en- enemies are after me, Peter down, like using it to his advantage. So, so sad. We actually, Cameo here in UK reached out to us when the documentary was released and wanted us on the platform. The next morning, we saw that Simon was on and we went off, you know. Pernilla, who was in contact, was like, how do you think that we are going to be on the same platform as our abuser? How on earth? Why Why would we? And now we know that he's being protected by the CEO in the US. I'm sorry to say, but I think that's where the bad side of, of the entertainment world in the US comes out, that there's always somebody, someone can see any ways of making money you will always have some bad seeds and especially since in the u.s it's so big you know you have everything there so but that was our i think the cameo thing biggest sorrow and that he started getting a manager in la all of these type of things and i have to say one of the biggest pet peeves that we've had is that people were saying to us how could you believe him you know and the moment Simon Levive talks about a Hollywood career, that he's having The Bachelor, like he's talking about a book, he's having everything, they believe him. So we had so many questions from journalists. So what do you think about Simon having a Hollywood career? And he's like, suddenly you guys believe him? You've been joking about how stupid we are for believing him and now he can just say it. And then it's just so many things that doesn't make sense here in this story. And yeah, it's been, I've, I'm, I'm so very, very angry uh, about it all. And he needs to be in jail ASAP. <laughs> well, first of all, man, what a strong point you made right now for all those people who are saying, we're so smart, we would never fall for that, who immediately fall for it when he says to them what he's doing. I mean, man, way to call that right out. Secondly, a few of the things you've been saying as we've been talking have reminded me of this line from the musical Hamilton. I don't know if either of you guys have seen it or our listeners, but there's this one line in one of the songs that says, we will come of age with our young nation. And I think about it with respect to technology and how quickly it has boomed and developed. And we as people are not keeping up with it. So, you know, as you said, the fact that 
for some of these companies, they're so much more focused on the money than they are on the social responsibility aspect and all of their own users who would ultimately potentially be harmed by some of these decisions that they're making. And we're seeing that play out in real time now, obviously in this case with TikTok, there's a whole debate about Tinder and who should be allowed access to that platform that's playing out right before our eyes right now. And so, you know, we're in a really tough moment in history where the technology allows us so many options, but just because we can doesn't mean we should. And that's something that we're really grappling with. Similarly, I'm thinking about the Me Too movement. I've been thinking about that a lot during this conversation and how even 10 years ago, just casual sexism, we as women would know it was wrong. We'd know it was inappropriate for people to talk to us the way they did, even in work settings, things like that. But we just accepted it as part of, I guess that's how it is. And we'd seek solace in other women about it. And we'd all just agree, yeah, it sucks, but what can you do? And then the Me Too movement happened. And now finally, people are starting to stand up in a mess and say, no, this isn't acceptable anymore. And I truly hope that's what happens in this case as well. And I really think, honestly, I wonder, would the Tinder Swindler documentary have even come out had it not been for the Me Too movement to recognize the power in women's stories and how we're, we're tired of being taken advantage of and that there's an audience for that. There's money to be made by sharing these stories. But I think what you and his other victims have done and sharing your story so openly. I mean, again, it's very brave to go out there when you know that there are some people who are going to slam you for it and to erroneously think they wouldn't be caught in that situation. But you coming forward is what leads to conversations around this, what leads to us being able to point out the signs. You know, I, as a therapist, have had a couple of clients who have been catfished and I, in them telling the stories, as this was unfolding, we were able to talk about, look, this may be a catfish situation because of some of these signs that I knew about because of the documentary and because of subsequent media that talked about some of these signs. And so we were able to catch that early on in the process. And so I think, okay, we've gotten the exposure. Now we're having conversations. We have awareness. And really next, it's gonna be that activism and it is going to be an insistence from us that this should be prosecuted in a different way, that the laws should change if the laws are insufficient. And so I really wanted to make those comments again, uh, because I think that they flow so clearly from what you've been sharing. No, I thank you. And that's, just, that's why I was thinking that was the best, you guys were the best people to actually speak to, because you would actually have something to add when I'm just rambling on, <laughs> that you could e either put me in my place <laughs> or, or, or agree. So yeah, thank you for that. Well, I'm going to have some questions about law and legal enforcement a little bit later. But one thing I want to ask about here, in part because of what Michelle raised, which are all really important points, is... You know, we have a lot of conversations about the female victims and they should have done this and they should have done that. And to some extent, we talk about why do narcissists do the things they do? And there's this fascination, right, with the mm -hmm. with um, sociopaths, psychopaths, right? The, the, the entire Hollywood industry, as we we're just saying, thrives on that. But, you know, one thing that doesn't get talked about much is what about other men? So do you think... Part of why Simon was so successful at trapping all these smart, conventionally beautiful professional women can be directly attributed 
to how few good men are available for serious romantic relationships, whether we're talking about Europe, where much of this happened, to places like the United States. Rather than just talking about what women can do to better protect themselves, what can men do on a societal level to prevent scenarios such as this one? Because right now, I feel like we have a number of men who on some level feel like it served the women right for wanting a man like who they thought Simon was in the beginning. And I'm not just talking about the money here. I'm talking about the mm. attention he was giving, mm. how he said that he was remembering everything and sending flowers and acting at least kind and empathetic. So a lot of men uh, feel like it serves women right for wanting that kind of a man rather than going for quote unquote nice guys like themselves. I would love your views on that. <laughs> Oh God, you! These topics are so interesting because I, you, you know, I've been in this now for it's going to be in January. It's going to be five years since I met him, so I've had a lot of years to think about, you know, and kind of the feedback we've been getting. And yes, there is one part of you know the internet with men, and if we're talking about the incel movement, that. You know, they ate this story up back in 2019. Before everything blew up now, there were so many compilations videos regarding that I had gone after a rich guy and I got what I deserved, that he needs to do a TED Talk for men. The amount of gold digger regards. And this is from men who are just really angry that you thought that you deserved, you know, to either be with. They just thought that you just went after the money but I have to say a lot of them want very conventionally thought out roles in society. You know, they want a woman just to be home, cook and clean for them. But then they want you to pay 50-50 as well. So that's how men, some men, sorry, some men are in today's society is that they want just all the positives that comes with equality and not some of the things where, no, so I'm trying not to because I'm going to be so much hate, <laughs> you know, the moment you put your foot in this. <laughs> this type of topic i'm not a man hater like as i said i love dating and i've dated a lot of great men as well but the big difference between maybe when i met simon and others i said it was the commitment to a serious relationship that he was showing that he was you know a caretaker in all the aspects you know both when it comes to you know the mental aspect as well that he was always there for you while i feel a lot of men sometimes they they feel like, oh, are you just blabbing? You know, all these type of things. Oh, well, she's still talking, you know. And that is not what women want. It's been really, really sad to see. But I have to say there has been support from men as well. I think this is really sad. But we've seen with a lot of female, like, crimes committed against women, which I've been thinking. We've been trying now for decades to think how we women can protect ourselves better, you know. And when you said now that, what can men do? And I want to change this now. Like the moment someone comes up and why I'm not being offended anymore. If people call me stupid, naive, gold digger, all these type of things is that no matter if you thought I was, and no matter if I was, it's still a crime. It doesn't take away anything in the law. It doesn't say if naive, stupid, no crime has been committed. So I don't care if you think so. It doesn't take away what happened to me. So I think I'm, I sit very comfortably in that space. And I have to say, being naive as well, it's not it's not a, a negative feature. I have to say, being naive can... I come from a country where we trust a lot. 
I come from Norway. We trust governments, which is very different just here in the UK and in other parts of the world. We trust politicians. I'm not raised in a society where we go around and looking like this at each other. So yeah, naive in that sense that I wish more people that we that we could be, you know, we can't. But yeah, sorry. I, I'm just so, it's, it's just sad to see. Yeah. Yes. This reminds me of a look at the grand scheme of things. It's not that bad, but it was a frustrating experience I had last week. So there is this popular broadcaster in my localish area, and he has a, a big following on Facebook. And, and I'm sure I'm dating myself by acknowledging that that's the social media I primarily use. And I will say, I do not get in Facebook arguments with strangers, but I did last week a little bit. And it was because of, so here in America, we have a comedian named Pete Davidson and he is very funny. And he's also very well known for dating all these beautiful, just beautiful women. They just all, like he has had so many beautiful girlfriends and people are baffled by this, mostly men. And so there was this post that the broadcaster here posted that, that basically asked something like, what's up with Pete Davidson getting all these hot women? And I had read a funny quote about it online very recently that I just posted in his comment section. And it said something like, all the average looking men who are baffled as to why someone wants Pete Davidson rather than their own average selves are so close to understanding that their personalities are the problem. And it's funny, but also true, right? So it's like they're looking at his looks and they're like, why would anyone want to date him? Never considering that he might just have a really amazing personality. And so you know, people start liking this comment and then it starts getting some comments in return. And this one man says something like, so what you women want are suicidal people because Pete Davidson has spoken about having felt suicidal in the past. And I, of course, being a therapist and a mental health advocate said, well, what we do want is men who take their mental health seriously and are willing to acknowledge that seeking help for that is a strength, not a weakness, and and who would have that empathy if we were ever in a tough spot. And he just really wasn't letting go. So he's like, but you do want somebody with a mental illness then. And I said, maybe, because over 50% of the population will be diagnosed with a mental health issue at some point in their lives. It certainly wouldn't be a deal breaker. You seem to be willfully ignoring the personality, the good personality part of the comment. And then what happened is, and so many women were commenting under that and making similar comments about, it's about personality. It, that was the common thread if you were to read through the comments. And then the broadcaster deleted the post. And I was so disappointed because that is a man silencing all these women, a man asking a question, presumably because people want to know the answer, but then all these women are giving the answer and they're, they're putting the emotional labor in to say, this is what women want. And then because it's not what they want to hear, not what the nice guys, quote unquote, want to hear, he just deleted it. It was just gone. And so I'll tell you what, we're not going to delete the podcast. <laughs> so as we're talking about this idea that things like remembering to give sweet gifts sometimes or just attending to the events going on in somebody's life is really more of a baseline nicety. That should not have to be a, wow, what a great, exceptional man for doing these kind of things. I totally agree. And just knowing that I know who Pete Davidson is, so I know exactly um, 
<laughs> you're talking about and the fascination that men has that we like or that we see it. We say it's the female gaze. They don't understand. They can't seem to wrap their heads around. For example, I had now, I, I'm in a TV show and I put Harry Styles as my celebrity crush. Not that I had anything, but I was put a bit on the spot. And I was like, well, well, he, for me, exemplifies that a man is is certain in his sexuality and is confident and don't feel threatened. And I think they're just putting their own negative view of the world onto what we women like. Cecilia, also following up on what you had just brought up, and you also had said in another previous interview, how Norway is a country with a high level of social trust. We've had, this was a popular question from our listeners, if you had a feeling something was wrong and rationalized it away, but could you talk about growing up in a high trust society and your other life experiences and how those might have shaped how you weren't able to recognize that this guy is conning you? I think, yeah, as, as I've just been feeling that when you come from a trusting society, for example, when it comes to our politicians, you trust them when they say something. It's starting though. I think the world is under a boiler, I feel a bit. But in Norway, when I was growing up, if politicians said something and parliament, you know, like you looked up to them, they were like people of power that they were there for you. And you trusted that police. I remember when this happened to me, like even when I realized I was defrauded, I had this blind faith that Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, I have, it's been a crime that's been committed against me, you know, like the police is going to get him. And a lot of has been shattered. And I, I truly believe like before I met Simon, nothing really bad has happened with my relationships. I've never met someone that, you know, abused me in different ways or trusted the wrong friend. And I could really feel that someone was lying straight to my face. So I think when this happened to me, and I have to say like how he scanned me as well, is that you were with him when he made you fearful. And I have to say, when you mix fear and love together, I think that's how he realized that he could get you more easily as well. Because if you do something just for, for love, you will do a lot. But if you really think that he would be in danger as well, you do a lot if it comes to hit. And I think he found a golden recipe because... He's been doing this for, for, for many years. And I think that he, everyone's been asking because, you know, two of the victims were from Scandinavian countries. I think he just really liked Europe. Maybe he, maybe, I don't think he could even enter the US though because of his conviction in Finland. So maybe that's why I don't remember him being in the US. I don't know how many victims he could have gotten over there, but especially here in Europe, I just heard from some Eastern European countries where they're like, oh no, if he would try here, he would never, you know, been using a bit about the Scandinavian culture as i said i don't use it to victim blame i'm using it to maybe explain why um i did what i did and as i said we have in norway we have digital identity we were talking about technology and in norway we have something called digital identity and the reason why it was so easy for me to obtain these loans is the high level of trust that the banks are even putting on you so when you apply for a loan and you say hi i need 50k high interest loans to refurbish my house they do it like that with technology i got it out in a day 50k loan that is almost impossible to pay down with with what i had because technology has come so far so i can sit in another country and do this and sign the loan papers in like that. 
So that is another thing I'm very passionate about is, yeah, technology. But we, we as humans, we still have flaws. So even though we are creating technology with less friction, everything's supposed to be so easy. If it can actually destroy your life, I would have appreciated to have more friction uh, when it came to the trust. Because the banks were saying then, oh, we trusted her to give us the right information. But when I was saying now, trust me, they refuse. So no matter how much documentation I put on how I was feeling when I took up the loans they refused to believe me and called me that I was cunning and was hunting for the loans while that's not how really I felt it so it's um I've seen the other side to society now and that Norway isn't as perfect as I thought it was before when it comes to this well, that is such a fascinating, I'm so glad we asked this because this really gives me a lot to think about because mm. we definitely do not want a victim blame. We definitely want to highlight that it's really more about the con man themselves than it is about the people they choose to defraud. And we have covered this in prior episodes. We have one in particular specifically devoted to narcissism. So for our listeners, go back and find that mm -hmm. one um, to learn about what is going on a lot on the con man end of things, but also... And what you were talking about, it is kind of funny because being American, it's sad to say, but we, when we hear the government, we assume they're lying to us about things. We don't believe that our government representatives are honest more often than not, which is truly sad to say. So culturally, we are a culture of distrust. However, on a personal level, and when you bring it down to that personal level, as you do when you are dating someone, that felt very familiar to me. I remember the first time that I was cheated on, it just hadn't occurred to me that somebody that I loved and cared about could do that to me. And just on a very human level, you know, it really just strikes you different. And, and you trust somebody who you've spent this time with, who you've shared these experiences with, who has made you believe, and in my case, truly, he did love me, but he also cheated on me. Mm. And so I think while there might be a cultural element that gives a general overview of how much should we trust somebody. A lot of that gets thrown out the window in personal yes. relationships. Yes, it is. It is true. I think it's more been an explanation for me sometimes where I'm like, how could it end so badly? It's not, it's not like an excuse or escape of like what happened to me, but I've just been like, are there other <laughs> reasons <laughs> why he picked the women he picked, why he went for, because we know now that he put out a very big net. He went on tons of dates, you know? So what is characterizing the women that we talked to that was con is that we are empathetic. Uh, we are kind hearted, you know, all of these type of things, tra traits that are supposed to be positive And suddenly that is being turned on you. Cause I'm saying like, of course he went on, he met so many girls, but he knew from that first date if this was someone that he would be able, you know, to con. Or if she was, sorry to say then, just after getting some dinners and nights out, out on the town, you know. I think he could mention what the girl was after. And not that the girl who just want dinner and then night out just have fun is something wrong with that. But he knew that I would not be able to get that deep connection with her. I wouldn't be able to get that. So she would get, help me out. So, yes. I, I think, and then I just think that he just, I think he just enjoyed the, enjoyed the looks of us. <laughs> I don't know why he says that he loves blondes. So I think that he just went after, like when he first got to con someone, <laughs> at least be around someone that he thought was pretty. Like, I don't know why. He, yeah. yeah. I don't know. 
we all have our personal preferences, but you're, you're so right. And we've discussed this before with Anna Rowe as well. The idea of empathy being the kind of trait that somebody like this would look to take advantage of. And it is so sad when you say it's supposed to be a good trait. It is a good trait. And yet it's something that people like this will take advantage of. And so, and I remember, I always describe myself after having been cheated on once as uh, somebody who was broken because of that. I really felt like a part of me was broken because of that. And I've had mixed reactions to that over time. Lots of people who said they understood, but some people being like, it happens all the time. Why can't you just, you know, get over it and accept that people are bad? And so, you know, yeah. in some of these ways. And so actually I have a follow-up question for you. And this also is one from our listeners. What has it been like getting back into dating after this experience, especially online dating? Have you changed your approach to men? And have you had any long-term relationships after things ended with Simon? It's it's sad to say, because I was really thinking it hadn't, that I would be able to just go back on dates again. I don't know. Like how I reacted to it was that I went back on the dating apps immediately. Uh, I shouldn't have done that, but it was almost like I wanted to wash him off me. I didn't want him to be the last person I'd kissed. I didn't want him to be the last person I slept with. I thought it was disgusting. So I met one guy just three weeks after and he was so kind and so nice. And we were together for half a year, but I was struggling very much mentally with what had happened. And after that, I just, I've just been dating, but I've had some very rough years. 2019, the first Tinder Swindler came out. Then I was taken to court by the banks and was so scared about that. 2020 was COVID, two trials. I made myself bankrupt here in the UK. So I was like looking back on all the years afterwards. It's like, no wonder you haven't had the energy to open yourself up. Because one of the reasons why that last relationship ended was he couldn't deal with it. Like, And I totally get it. But I didn't want that to be the reason why a new relationship ended I don't want that to be the reason so I am just been dating seeing people but for the last year I almost have had no time either this last ever since February I've just been traveling so I really really want to find someone it's not that but I'm so happy just being by myself and loving myself and that has been on the top list is to get my life back in I don't want what what happened to me that someone else has to deal with that if you know like so so yeah it's but it's been interesting there's there's some guys who've seen the documentary and commend me all of the guys that i've met on dating apps afterwards have always had nice things to say it's been so refreshing um so many men are saying how brave and strong woman i am and that's the type of man i want to find that looks at it as a positive thing and there are many of them out there so i, I don't i don't think <laughs> i don't think i'll end up all by myself but you know as you become older your list of a potential man it comes longer and longer of stuff you want <laughs> so i think it's been really interesting doing this podcast because as many guests as we've had in topics we've covered, certain themes kind of rise to the top more than once. And you're, you've hit upon a couple of them right now. One is when you get out of a bad situation, or if anything else, it doesn't have to be a dating situation, but if something else really challenging is going on in your life, it's so important to take the time to work on yourself, to take care of that before you really jump back into any kind of serious dating, because it's not fair to put that on somebody else. And it's not it takes what otherwise could be a really great relationship if you met that person when you're in a good place 
and ruins that opportunity if you're not in a good place. So I think it's so important. And I'm so glad for you, you know, that you have that experience of, you know what, sometimes I need the time to work on myself. And then I also love what else you said, which is I've also been busy doing stuff that feels good for me and other exciting opportunities outside of dating for me. And that's something we've talked about on the podcast before too, is dating doesn't need to be your whole life. And many of our happiest guests who have found success and found a long-term serious relationship have said something along the lines of, I would love to find a partner, but I don't want, I'm going to quote Aaron Shealy here, who had said that she doesn't want their role to be load bearing. She wants to be able to carry the load on her own. And they're more like, I'm not mixing metaphors, but like a cherry on top, you know? So, um, so they don't need to be load bearing to her contentment. And it sounds like that's what you've recognized as well. So I just want to say, I'm so glad that's the experience you're having that after all of this, you have taken the time for yourself. You've had some different experiences and you're also staying busy. Dating has, yeah. doesn't have to be the be all end all. You'll find your person when the time's right. Tune in to the next episode to hear part two of our fabulous interview with Tinder swindler star victim Cecilia Fjellhoy, starting with an update on swindler Simon Leviev's current dating life and with much more about the international effort, or lack thereof, to bring him to justice. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate it five stars so that others have a chance to listen to it as well, and make sure to subscribe so that you can get our future episodes. All our platforms are accessible at strangersoninternet.com. Again, that's strangersoninternet.com without a the. You can become a part of our community by joining the Strangers on the Internet Facebook group or following us at Swipe Strangers on Twitter, Instagram, or Mastodon, where we are on the Fostodon server with two S's. I would like to thank my husband, Carlos Farini, for sound editing as well as Vlad Kujuklu for permission to use his music for this podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye.